Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. Hello. Well, I say as always, but obviously you've had the, you've had the one, one episode where you were moving house. So uh, technically, I was lying there. <laughs> as, as the majority of time, Andre Grayson. There you go. There you go. You can fix it. I think you can stick with always. Yeah, I think I think we can, seeing as uh, we are the founding members of this podcast, so I think we can get away with that. Um, we are recording uh, significantly later than we would normally, because normally we record on a Tuesday and the podcast is out on Thursday, but due to uh, both of us having quite a hectic work schedule, we've decided to wait until the following weekend, um, largely due to the fact that it is a shitty international break, um, mm. which... As you can tell my, by my disdain, I'm not at all happy about. But we obviously, the last time we recorded, we hadn't played West Ham, which there's lots to talk about from that game. And there was also the Europa League draw, which we'll, uh, we'll touch on that as well. So we were going to do a commentary quiz, but as we established uh, in just before recording, Andre asked me if I'd prepared my commentary quiz and I informed him that I had not. So we're skipping that today because I've done not even the minimum amount of preparation for this podcast. Yeah, it's all from the heart. The heart and the head today. The heart and yeah, the head. It is, it is. Uh, right, so let's go all the way back to last week um, and obviously the West Ham game. Uh, where do you want to start with that, Andre? Yeah, I actually want to start with... Um... Uh, a thought for you. I uh, I was I was thinking about this when I was writing notes after the game, or whenever I was doing it, thinking whenever we were going to do the podcast. Do you remember in an earlier podcast when Tottenham drew three all with West Ham, and I said yes. we wouldn't concede three goals? And I remember sort of pausing, going to say, "Hmm, I don't know, West Ham." Right now, when that third goal went in, all I thought about was that episode where I said. We wouldn't concede three to West Ham. And I think I'm partly responsible for that defending because it was the worst start to a match in as long as I can remember. It was up there with Wenger's team. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say living I, I thought you were going to say living memory. <laughs> no, it's still, we've still done one. But, but I say living memory. But I'm not sure I've seen us go 3-0 down to a team as... Um, you know, West Ham are a good team, but, but they're not a top it's used Paul Merson, a top, top team. They're, they're a good team, but we shouldn't ever be 3-0 down to West Ham after 20 minutes. No, we shouldn't. And it was... Uh, the way I describe the game is that we were absolutely atrocious for 35 minutes. And then we were fed, we were pretty good for an hour. Um, and that's probably how you summarise the game. And I, I, I left the game feeling... Well, I remember you texted me and you said, oh, 3-0 down, I think we'll take that. And I was really disappointed that we didn't go the whole way and, and turn it around completely yeah. because I just felt like the opportunity was there. And the way we played for that hour, I think we we were so dominant for, the, for that spell that we we probably should have gone on and won the game. And I, I, sp I was speaking to a West Ham fan at work and he said, if that was another 10 minutes to go, um, you, you'd have won that. Because we were obviously pressing them and had had a few half chances, but but again, what I would say is that despite the the dominance, I'm thinking back to particularly after we went three to uh, we went to three all. 
I think Pepe had that half chance where, where he just didn't get it out of his feet quick enough. Um, and beyond that, we didn't really create anything of note after that, despite putting the pressure on them. No. So I, th- I think ultimately you probably have to say three all was, a, was probably a fair reflection of the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what it goes down to is, uh, and something I wanted to ask you really, but what it comes down to is we have, uh, earlier in the season, we we defended first. And we were quite solid at the back. And you, you didn't really see it. You couldn't see us conceding many goals. We've almost flipped a switch now. And now we look like we're going to score a lot. And we look like we're going to concede a lot again. And I just think he can't get the balance right at the minute. But I've got to be honest, the way this season has gone, I would much rather take being able to come back from 3-0 down against West Ham than what we were doing earlier in the season. And it's, it's a small crumb of comfort to see where we've come. But that sort of was my reflection, is that if we went 1-0 down in November, we weren't getting that back. <laughs> now we can go 3-0 down, and at least you don't go, oh, it's over. And the reason I, I think going on to talking about the Europa League or the rest of the season, you know, it's so important we have the capacity in this team to turn games around. And if this was a start of some evidence towards it, then then I'm OK with it. <laughs> it is just a complete transformation from the start of the season and not necessarily for the better um, well I'd say it is for the better because it is far more entertaining watching us at the moment than it than it was um, and as you say we, we have come a long way in that we can now come come back from three new town but it's it's just it, it, it's, it's exactly what you said. There is no balance. There's no there's no middle ground. It's either we're really good at the back and have nothing going forwards, or we're shocking at the back and we can create going forwards. So it's, it's still so much work to do. And mm. you look you look at this side and you think how far we've got to go. I mean, you you look at it and you think how far this squad has come. Yet we our league position is is about the same as it was this time last year, um, if not a little bit worse. <laughs> so it's yeah. um, it's infuriating. And I don't really know where the journey is going to take us or where it's going to end up, but I'm all, I'm all for it. I, I tweeted yeah. after I tweeted after the West Ham game and just uh, obviously a little bit of a summary. And then I just said, I fucking love Arsenal Football Club. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why, but I really felt... Uh, a, a synergy towards the club um, after that game. And it wasn't because of the desire to come back or anything like that. I think it was more because whatever happens at this club, it, I'm I'm just always so emotionally involved with it. And it just completely dictates how I feel and what sort of mood I'm going to be in for the foreseeable future until the next game. Um, and I think that's kind of what summed up that tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I definitely feel more re-engaged again whereas a lot of this season it was just watching it because I had to and just being in a bad mood and dreading the games and now at least I'm looking forward to them I'm just going into the game a bit more because it it sort of seems redundant I can't even remember the specifics now at this point after a week we've normally played twice at this point um what did you make of a Bamiyang on the right and 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 not a Bamiyang in general because I saw a lot about a Bamiyang sort of real frustration, but I just feel like that's people who haven't watched him. If he doesn't score, he didn't really have a good game, uh, but he was having a bit of a shocker and he should have gone off sooner. 
But what did you make of him starting on the right and Arteta mixing it up in that way? I think, I, I don't think we ever got to see the reason why he played on the right because because we implemented our game plan so catastrophically badly. <laughs> I don't think we ever got to see the reason why Arteta chose to put him on the right. Um, so I've got a little bit of sympathy with him, but but historically, Aubameyang has never really played well for us when he started on the right-hand side. Um, his best performances have always come centrally or on the left. So... I, I think you can kind of take that and think, okay, well, that's an experiment that didn't really work. Um, I'm sure there was a justification for it and I'm, I'm sure there's a logic behind it, but obviously Arteta didn't really reveal that when he was doing his post-match press conference. So I wasn't a fan of it. And I remember texting you and just said, interesting that he's on the right. And you just replied with, interesting is a word. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, it is a word. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it so it transpired that interesting was just a word and yeah. there wasn't any deeper context needed for that. So I wasn't a fan of it, but I wasn't a fan of Aubameyang's performance at all. But like you said, it, it, the, the criticism of Aubameyang, is, it does feel like it's from people who don't really understand him as a footballer because his role in this team is to score goals. And unfortunately, he's not a player who will create something out of nothing. He has to be the person with his fantastic movement um, on the end of things happening. So if that's not working, I think that I think that's the, the, the time when you have to cut your losses and go, OK, you know what, this isn't a game for him. Uh, I do understand Arteta's um, reluctance to take him off because of his goal-scoring record. Um, he's someone who can get a goal when you need it. Um, but it just never looked like that was going to happen. So... I would have taken him off a lot earlier. Um, I think we spoke about it at half-time, to be honest. Um, mm. But it was one of those ones where you can start, kind of see it from Arteta's perspective as well. Um, not to say, I, I do think it was quite a brave decision uh, to take him off anyway, because obviously being your, your, your talisman, your captain, your most paid player, you, it's, you'd expect that person to be on the pitch at all times. But he obviously, he made the call to take him off. But I think it was probably maybe maybe 10 minutes too late and he should have given Martinelli a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it was good to see Martinelli come on and him be able to do that. Because the thing with Aubameyang is we've got to protect him a bit. And if he's having a game like that, just get him off. Get the youngster on. Um but of course, Aubameyang's success or renaissance from Christmas has really been him down the middle. Um, but I thought Lacazette was excellent on the day, um, he was. and it just it just wanted I just wanted to ask you really, sort of where are you at? He's our top scorer this season, I think. I actually don't know. I normally know this stuff so well, but it's just <laughs> it's like one's got seven and one's got eight. Um, but <laughs> uh, let me have a look. I'm gonna have a little look. Um, in all comps, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, Lacazette, 11 goals this season. Aubameyang, 9. I think that's just in the Premier League. Uh, got, Arsenal have got a drop-down for the Champions League. How how, uh, how disappointing. That's <laughs> um, very optimistic. <laughs> it is. It really is. Yeah, no, in, in, the, in the Europa League, Aubameyang's got three. He's joint top scorer with Joe Willock, Eddie Nketiah, 
of Nicolas Pepe in that competition for us um, with, a, with a whopping three. Uh, Lacazette's got one. So I think Lacazette is one ahead of Aubameyang and it looks like it's 12-11. And what I wanted to ask you after a lot of statistical knowledge there was, would you sign Lacazette? Would you renew his contract? Do you think it's worth doing? Is it yet another stopgap? Sort of what are we thinking? Because I think he's looked pretty good this season and I feel a bit sorry for him. I agree that he has looked pretty good this season and I think as an all-round performer, he offers you far more down the middle than Aubameyang does because Lacazette, for all his failings, Lacazette can play with his back to... To the, to the goal, he can hold the ball up, he can be a nuisance and he, he's not reliant on scoring a goal for him to have a good game. So I think he has been very unlucky that he hasn't played more this season. Um, going back to your question about whether I would sign him to a new deal, uh, I personally wouldn't. And the reason for that is I think he's just approaching 30 now and obviously that's by no means over the hill or anything like that. But I think in terms of moving him on, he's got one one year on his contract in the summer. Is that right? Um, one year on his contract, and if we're going to get any money back for him, I think this is this is the opportunity to do so. Um, probably signing a new contract, he's not going to accept terms that he's on now. He'll want an improved contract, I would imagine. Um, and obviously, this is probably his last big one. Um, mm if you break it down like that. So I think the time is probably to move him on is, is probably come. Um, whether we can do that, I don't know. That's going to be the other question because obviously historically we've, we've been so horrific at moving players on at the right time. But I, th- I think you've got to weigh it up. If you could get him signed up on a sensible salary, then potentially it's, it's, it's a good one to do because I think you're going to struggle to replace his, his goal output and, and his all-round play uh, initially. But personally, I would move him on. Uh, what do you think? I think it's a little bit like I agree with absolutely everything you've said. But also nothing. I, no, 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 no. But do I trust us to find someone as good as Lacazette and pay for them? And is that a priority? That's where I struggle. Is I'm, I'm looking at what our uh, Norwegian friend is doing in the number 10 position. And I'm going, do you know what? Sign Lacazette up, give him a little extension. Get You, know, you might get 20 mil for him. You only get 10. Keep him there because that's where the difference is. I think getting Odegaard in this team. But then I look at it, I go, actually, replace and refresh is what we have to keep doing. We have to. You know, if you look at this club's trajectory and where we are and the age profile, to just keep him going another year, it's like another stopgap. And none of them have worked. Because also, if you go back, I was, I was watching a... No. I was watching the most bizarre Sky Sports video the other uh, earlier. And it was um, goals VAR would have ruled out. And one of them was Mkhitaryan's uh, scorpion kick. Uh, and it just got me thinking about, you know, when we signed yeah. Mkhitaryan Abamyang, it was a short term, get us back in the Champions League and we go again. And here we are, 10th, <laughs> praying we sneak through the Europa League. And it's, it's just so far back. And you just think no one in this squad could complain if they're sold this summer, really. 
there's lots of players we'd want to keep. But you know what I mean? Someone like Lacazette, it's not good enough. Yeah, um, and I think particularly if you're looking at um, someone like Gabriel Martinelli, who we've spoken about in the podcast and said that potentially we can see him playing down the middle in, in the future. I think you've got to identify a place in the squad uh, as a centre-forward for him, um, which you would assume is ahead of Eddie Nketiah. Um, I'd be a very, very surprised if Nketiah isn't moved on in the summer. Um so you're looking at a space in the squad there, which we can feel internally. Um, and then you've got Aubameyang, who is not is not going anywhere because of obviously we just signed him to a new deal. Um, you're not going to just cut your losses with that unless you've got a mega offer for him. Um, so I think just for rejuvenating that position, I think Lacazette probably goes out and and then you, you try and bring in someone else who can do that job of linking up. And I think that for us, because we have a Bamiang who hopefully will get back to his scoring scoring best and show why we've invested that much money in him again. I think you're looking at someone who can do that link up play more than someone who can contribute X amount of goals, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um so like we've spoken about how Olivier Giroud, um obviously we're not going to go back for him, but would fit into this system quite nicely because of his ability to hold the ball up and his ability to be a nuisance. And I think that's kind of the player profile that we're looking for. Um and someone to do it more consistently than any of the, the strikers that we have at the moment. And I think by doing that, you also open up the opportunity for Aubameyang to be to be potentially playing on the left hand side again because of that ability to link up and, and contribute from central areas. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. Um, I'm really intrigued about what we will do in the summer in a number of positions. Um, but what I do think we should talk about is Martin Odegaard, uh, because obviously he's, he's had a big impact since he's arrived at Arsenal um, and he seems to be getting better and better and better. And Sunday was a prime example of, of his performances. And, I think we're getting into, we're getting to a point where we know we're going to have the conversation this summer with Real Madrid about whether we can get him on a permanent, and it's it, I I don't know how that conversation is going to go because if it doesn't go well, then we're back to square one again, and we need to find someone fairly urgently to fill that void. Yeah, here's how that conversation will go. Um, <laughs> <by> Real Madrid <laughs> is Zinedine Zidane your manager? Yes. We get Martin Odegaard. Yes. Is Zinedine's a manager? Oh, that was it. <laughs> Zinedine's a manager? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is Zidane not your manager? Uh, no, he's no longer our manager. Martin Odegaard stays at Real Madrid. I actually think we'll probably get him on loan for another season, if nothing else. Um, yeah. yeah, I can but, see that. Yeah, but also I actually think he's one of these players that's actually ideally suited to the English game. If I'm totally honest, I think he's got something about him and also the fact he's made captain of Norway. And if you watch the open mic thing on him, you can see uh, he, you can see his talent and his leadership. But I mean, what a player. I mean, when Smith Rowe, you know, we said they'd share minutes and I sort of thought Odegaard will do a sort of replacement. We were really wrong because Odegaard is is seriously good. I, I didn't realise just how good he was. 
And my goodness, what an impact. I've never seen such an impact from a loan signing. Even a January signing, I know we could argue with our Sharvin, but I don't know that Odegaard, he looks out of place in this team. You know, it doesn't phase him that we're 3-0 down. He keeps playing, he keeps finding the passes. I mean, that pass to Pepe, the one you alluded to where he's missed it, that was Sesk. That was a left-footed Sesk. Uh, and it's great to see, and I'm, I'm yeah. loving watching him. Yeah, I, I I really am loving watching him as well, and uh, I think he's he's one of these players because he's been around for so long, having broken onto the scene at fifteen. Um, so this is like seven or eight years that he's been on everyone's radar, and obviously he's had a number of loan signings at, um, at, at, at various clubs, and by all accounts he's done well at everywhere that he's gone, um, but. It's not something I've ever kept a track of, apart from being aware of his name. So, like you, I was not aware of how good a player he was. Um, I'm in a group chat with my with my football team, and they were when most of them were West Ham fans. And when they went three 0 up, they were obviously all buoyant and taking the piss. And a couple of the Arsenal fans in there were talking about Martin Odegaard and saying what a good player he was. And one of the West Ham fans in there just went, what is it with Arsenal fans and Odegaard? He, he's done nothing for you. And it's just like, well, one, you can't have watched much of Arsenal if, if you cannot see the difference that he's made since he's been there. Um, and two, you can't have seen anything of Martin Odegaard at all because he's such a talent. He's such a talent. And I just, I, I just worry that the better he plays the less likely we are to be able to <laughs> attract him. Um, we've got to be able to sell to him the long-term project at Arsenal um, because obviously you never know. If we went and won the Europa League and we're back in the Champions League, then that makes us an awful lot more appealing than, than we are having finished 10th or whatever and no European football. So I think that'll be a big factor. And I think if we were to do that, I think there's a fair chance we get him on a permanent. But like you said, it's so much to do with who is manager at Real Madrid. And I think we want them to have a successful end to the season to ensure that Zidane stays. <laughs> big time. Big, big, big time. Um, a couple of things to pick out there. So I completely agree. But uh, I know we were going we're gonna to talk a little bit about international breaks. Um, and I remember Meza Ozil uh, in a game Germany v England. And of course, he didn't play for us at this point, but he ran Gareth Barry ragged. And it was it was almost embarrassing. They beat us 4-1. It's the game where Lampard scored that goal that wasn't, um, yeah. if you recall. But when watching Declan Rice try and keep tabs on Martin Odegaard reminded me of that because he didn't know what day it was. <laughs> he did not know where to turn. He didn't, couldn't pick him up once. I mean, in fairness, I, thought, uh, uh, I do think Declan Rice is a good player. I think he's massively overrated. If he wasn't English, I don't think he'd get the uh, accolades he does. But um, I thought it was Odegaard was the reason we got back into that game because nothing phases him. And that's what you want. That's what top top teams have that, you know? Okay, we're 3-0 down, but we've got the quality to go and score three. So everyone just calm down. Uh, and I thought he brought that. And, and just, just touching on... Um, Further additions uh, in the the summer. One I wanted to ask you about because Callum Chambers was outstanding at right back, and I don't know if you saw. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw Cedric's assist on uh, yesterday for Portugal. 
how unbelievable cross. Um, no. And I wonder, do you, it was a stunning cross for, for Jota. Um, and one that Hector Bellerin has never played across like that. You know, like it was one of these where it was like, he's, he's sort of not at the byline. He's sort of to the corner of the box, whips it over the defender's head, header at the back post, lovely cross. But I wondered if you think it's the end for Hector when you see a performance like that where Chambers can fill in, Cedric could be there and we've got two good options and whether it is just time to refresh Hector because he's not had a great season. No, he hasn't. And I do think it is time to refresh and move him on. And I think that's potentially somewhere we could bring in some transfer fee um, as well. So I, I just think it's probably the best time for, for all involved. Um, I, I, he gets linked with Paris Saint-Germain constantly. Um, so I, I think there's a fair chance that one happens in the summer. And it will be sad to see Hector go because obviously he's someone that's come through. Um, we all love him. Uh, he's embraced this sort of London lifestyle and, and has very much become one of our own. Um, but I just feel it is time. And when Cedric or, or Chambers are playing, they are doing more for Arsenal at, in that right-back position than, than Bellerin has been, um, certainly from an attacking sense. And from an attacking sense, has always been Bellerin's, what Bellerin brings to the side. His, defend, his defending has always been, he gets out of jail because of his pace and he seems to have has lost a yard of pace since his, uh, his knee injury. So... Yeah, I think I think it's time for him to, to to move on, and I'd be quite quite content if we went into next season with Cedric and, and Chambers as our two options. Yeah, yeah, as would I, as would I. But I do think if we do sell him, it, it just comes down to they've got such a job on. They must have a they must have like you know in a <laughs> crime series where there's all these like murderers and like points and string on a wall. I reckon Arteta and uh, Edu have this room at Colney and they're just there like, right, so if he goes, that opens up that, we can get him. So that means we can do this, this and this. But if that doesn't happen, then it must be this guy we need to get. <laughs> I just, I can, you can see it now. It's so <laughs> complicated. But it's a bit like, I, I keep seeing things like the uh, Brighton raid for Lamptey and Basuma. And that's the kind of thing I yeah. like to see. I like the look of those, you know. Well, I I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk you through my FIFA team then, because uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I've solved. I think I've solved everything. Um, yeah, go on. So I have moved Hector Bellerin. I've moved Hector Bellerin on. What did you and get? And I have raided Brighton. Uh, I can't even rem- remember. Obviously, FIFA fees are all, all, normally ridiculous, but I think it was somewhere in, in the region of thirty-five million or something. So I've done well out of that. Um, but I did bring in Tarek Lamptey uh, for his pace. And although he comes in as a, a right wing back, I've converted him to a right back. So he's comfortable in both both positions. Um, I've also still got Cedric there. Chambers has unfortunately moved on because I got I, I got an offer. I can't re- again, I can't remember what it was, but I couldn't I couldn't refuse it. And he needed first team football, so I've moved him on. Um but I did bring in Basuma and he's been a an absolute revelation. Um, I've also solved the striking issues. So we've uh, converted Martinelli to a striker. We've moved Lacazette on and we bought in Myron My- Boadu from uh, AZ Alkmaar. <laughs> so, so yeah, we're, we're, we're strong. We're strong in those positions. So I think I've solved everything. And I've signed a, a, a young German called Luca Nietz 
for uh, to cover Tierney. So uh, we're covered there as well. What you, I was you, you need to be getting on the phone to Edu and saying you need to get rid of this Mikel fella. Get me. Well, in. I need I need I need to have a word as well because I was uh, gazumped by uh, Leicester City who jumped on an opportunity to get Gabriel because he had a release clause. Now. If this is real, if he's got a release clause in his contract at Arsenal, Edu, you need to sort that out, son, because we can't be having that risk because he's gone. He's gone to Leicester. Despite me chasing the title, he's gone to Leicester. So I've had to promote William Saliba. And uh, who else have I got? William Saliba, Pablo Murray's still there, Rob Holding's still there. And uh, I've brought back uh, Mavropanos as well. So we've got... Uh, Centre back is covered with uh, with youth at the minute, yeah. but uh, but yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked. So we need to make sure he's not got a release clause. <laughs> we do, we do. Okay, we'll get on the phone. Um, I have to say, uh, Myron Boadu, um, in, in lockdown, I hammered football manager, and he he was a feature in my RB Leipzig Bundesliga winning team. Uh, so maybe there's a little <laughs> omen there. <laughs> it needs to come, right? It needs to happen. If he's worked in both in, in two different systems on two different video games, then <laughs> well, it's a recipe. It's a recipe for success. It is. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Right. Well, since we last spoke, I think. Um, uh, by the way, I think we've got a bit of lag, which may not come across to the listeners, but I feel like I say something and then. And you laugh about 10 minutes later, but you might just be thinking about my jokes. Who knows? Um, but uh, the uh, Europa League uh, draw has happened. Now, of course, you've got Slavia Prague, who have knocked out uh, Leicester and Rangers. Um, I, I, think it's, I think one of the things I felt after seeing the draw is that if you look at the other side of it, I know, man, you got Granada, which is who I wanted. But to get Roma or Ajax in a semi, that would be tough for us. And I know, I know it's lining up to get Unai's Villarreal if we get through. But it feels achievable. It feels achievable. Or Zagreb, of course, you can't rule them out after they did us a majestic favour, knocking out our rivals. Um, but I just feel like if we're going to beat a, t- a team that's probably better than us, and I don't think that is Villarreal or Zagreb or Slavia. I think it is Man U, Roma or Ajax. We're going to do it in a one-off game. Yeah, I think the draw worked really, really well for us. Um, going back to obviously Tottenham getting knocked out by Dino Zagreb, I laughed and I laughed and I laughed some more. It was fantastic. Um and it was obviously just after we'd lost to Olympiacos, but obviously that didn't really matter. We went through anyway. Um, but I turned extra time on and it was fantastic. And I, I, I enjoyed listening to Jermaine Genus lose, mm. lose his shit yet again. Um, but anyway, the draw, I think, was very kind to us. Um, if it wasn't going to be Granada, I think Slavia probably would probably, probably be the next option, if, if not Dino Zagreb. Uh, so that will, that will hopefully... Be a be a tie. We win over two legs, but like you just said, we can't we can't take anything for granted against them. Having um, having seen what they've done to the other British clubs, so I think we'll get to the semi final. And then I I I I I, I, I was convinced after the draw that that was set up for us to go all the way. 
Um, I'm less convinced now. I've got slightly less excited because of the international break. But I still think we've got a great opportunity to do it. Um, and if by some, by some I, I say miracle, because obviously when we recorded after the Benfica tie, uh, we both said there was absolutely zero chance of us winning the Europa League. <laughs> and since then, things have transpired and made it a lot more achievable. And we are playing better and we look like a team that potentially could go all the way. So um, I, I, I do believe, I do believe, and it would make our whole season a success, despite how difficult it's been in the league. And I don't think anyone would, would give a toss about the league if, uh, if we went all the way and won the Europa League. <laughs> No, not at all. And I've got to be honest, I know we've talked about this, um, Denard, and he's got to prioritise it now. You know, whatever team comes back from international break for Liverpool, he's got to pick a team with Thursday in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um that has to be the priority. I think it was the priority anyway. We've seen how much he's been rotating for the, the Premier League games. Um, so I think he was already doing that. But we're going to see that even more. And I don't think he's going to take any chances with players that he doesn't need to. Um, and that could well see our league form dip um, substantially because of that prioritisation. But I think there's a, a case to be had for trying to maintain that form Um that we've shown recently across all competitions because that, that can only only be a positive in Europa League. But we've, we've shown throughout the season that our league form hasn't really been in, been affected by our European performance, if only by a negative, because our, our record after Europa League games is, is, is pretty shambolic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's, the, that's got to be the way forward. Yeah. I have to say, I was looking at the fixtures and if you take the next sort of five we're coming back to. Liverpool home, then the, the two legs um, against Slavia, sandwich a, a trip to Bramall Lane, um, which, you know, come on, guys. We shouldn't need we shouldn't need the big guns for that one. Uh, then home to Fulham, then home to Everton, and then the next semi sandwiching Newcastle and West Brom. So when I talk about rotation and what we need to do, you know, some of those fixtures are pretty, maybe minus the Everton one, are quite favourable to rotate. Yeah. But, you know, Liverpool won no, but the others, if if you look at the where those teams are in the league, you know, we should be able to play El Nenny. We should be able to play Cedric at left-back, for example. And, you know, th- there just should be, you'd like to think, the opportunity for that. But um, we shall see. I, I think um, um, it's wrong after to be a team, to watch your team go 3-0 down so quickly. To come away a week later and go, I'm only excited, but I'm only excited right now. I just think the draw opened up. We've got a nice run of fixtures and uh, who knows? We're getting top four. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Amazing. No, no, you are right. Um, It has opened up and there is cause for optimism that uh, hasn't been there at significant parts of the season. So uh, it's it's definitely a time to be excited, um, to quote um, Josh Cronkey. (laughs) (laughs) I would say be excited. Yeah, so fingers crossed. Um, Okay, should we touch on some international football? (laughs) Let's do it, let's do it. 
Okay. Um, I hate international football. I really, really, really hate it. Um, and I've, I, I've been so bored this weekend. And I've, I've watched some some football. I've watched some ridiculous... I watched some of the A-League yesterday morning um, just because I was desperate for some club competition. Um, it, it wasn't great, I'll be honest. <laughs> but I did see an absolute perler of a goal for the uh, the Newcastle Jets. Um, so that was... Uh, that. That was exciting. Who got it? But uh, sorry, they've got it. No, who scored it? Who got it? Who got it? I can't remember who it was. It was, I think, it was like some Irish lad or something. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I like the commentary there. Oh, the Jets have done it. <laughs> That's an absolute ripper. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I just I just don't enjoy international breaks at all, and I've got a really weird relationship with the England national team because I, I I've, I've spoken about it before, and I find that I I spend the whole year berating most of those players, and then when they pull on the England shirt, I just can't bring myself to support them. So I'm always really non-fussed about whether England do well um, in anything, like whether it's the World Cup, whether it's the Euros or the qualifiers. I just I, really not bothered about it um i normally try and watch the games just just out of obligation i think um but they are fixtures that i just do not look forward to at all i know i think you've got a slightly different relationship with uh the international setup than i do though well well i uh i, I think um having lived in spain and been around um so many different nationalities the requirement for England you know we had Germans Spanish Italians French all sorts England winning did actually mean a bit more um but I've always adored international competitions so I'm less fussed about international breaks you know like you no real interest in this week for example I had it on I switched it off when we went four nil up because it's like okay Sure, I've seen it now. When Arsenal players play for England, I do, I do love it, and I much prefer it. But yeah, I love international tournaments. France World Cup '98 was the, obviously the year we won the double, and that season from winning the double into the World Cup was really where my love of football began. Uh, and I have a DVD of all the goals of World Cup '98, uh, and I've watched that countless times. Um, yeah, I predicted France to win it when I was seven. I actually won a bet. Uh, my dad's my dad's office did this whole spreadsheet, right? It wasn't a spreadsheet then, but this whole like wall chart. And you had to predict every game and you got X points per game and finalists and winners. And I predicted the semis. <laughs> I got the semi-finalists, the finalists and winners. And I won £300 off all my dad's colleagues when I was seven. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they were that, delighted. Yeah, yeah, a seven-year-old's out <laughs> out guessed us. Um, it's a very proud moment, and really that cemented my love of the international tournament. Um, but my relationship with England is the same as yours because you know I saw an article um, going round this morning about Harry Kane and how he could be England's top scorer, and I can't have that. Uh, n- no, no. <laughs> No, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think as well. Um, like like you, I, I I really I really do enjoy international tournaments um, in the, like the Euros and the World Cup because I 
I like the whole celebration of football, but I I don't really care if England win win it. I like uh, usually during the World Cup because I'm also half American. Normally, if USA are in it, I'll, I'll normally go oh, I'll support them, um, <laughs> which they're not going to win it. Um, nor England, but that's uh, another argument for another day. Uh, but I just I like seeing like the smaller nations and how much it means to them to be representing their country and things like that. Um, so I do I do enjoy it and I do watch a lot of international football during the, those big tournaments. But it's still something like I, I'd be happy to not have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. No, it matters a lot less to me. In fact, my favourite ever. Euros were Euro 2008, where England weren't in it. That was by far my favourite. I think uh, there's a goal scored by Nihat uh, for Turkey against the Czech Republic that is one of my favourite goals of all time for the finish. It is like, uh, it's crossbar and in, but he's he's one-on-one with Czech and he bends it uh, round him into the top corner, crossbar and in. It is majestic. You've got to dig it out. Stunner. I will have a look. I will have a look for it. We've reached the stage of the podcast where we normally reminisce about goals from years gone by. Uh, We've decided to do an international special this week, despite my uh, hatred and disgust for international football. Um, But what we are going to do is select international goals scored by Arsenal players. So, Andre, would you like to go first with your first selection? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've chosen this one for quality of goal, not what it meant. Because with the summer tournament coming up, there may be some that mean mean a little more. Um, Mine is uh, a goal by Super Jack Wilshere, where he actually scored a brace against Slovenia. And this was, he was playing at the the base of Roy Hodgson's diamond midfield. um, And England had been pretty poor. And he scored an absolute beauty with his left foot. Um, a, a sort of a bit of a rifle um, from the edge of the box to, to equalise. And then about two minutes later, it was teed up for him again about 25 yards out. And he bends an absolute stunner from 25 yards. But one of the reasons I chose this goal is because people... You know what you said about Martin Odegaard earlier? Where, oh, why do Arsenal fans think this? No one really got it with Wilshere. But when he played for England, he started to turn heads and games like this was that. And one of the most underrated things about him was the quality of his strike. He was so technical, but my goodness, he had a wonderful shot on him, could generate real power. Um, And it was just one of those goals where you were so proud your Arsenal player scored it. Um, And I, I love Super Jack. I thought he was going to be an England great and everyone would love him. It didn't quite work out that way, but a stunning pair of goals and a seriously brilliant one that day. And I think it's interesting that Wenger and Wilshere, to an extent, it never quite came together for him in that deep-lying playmaker role because he showed such promise there, I think. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, And I, I just wonder, on the back of what you've just said, if my sort of... Uh, frailed relationship with England might be due to the fact there are significantly less Arsenal players in and around the squad at the moment. Um, and I think that's probably a factor because I obviously remember back to that to that moment and and like you, I had that sort of pride that one, one of our lads was uh, doing it on the international stage. 
Um, and I do, I remember both goals very, very clearly and, uh, and vividly and uh, both, both fantastic, but uh, you described them very well. And uh, I think we've all got that relationship with Jack that we were, were desperate for him to show the world consistently what he could do. But obviously with his injury problems, it just never quite came to fruition. But still, yeah. one, wonderful uh, set of memories, I should say, with that, uh, with that example. Yeah, yeah. And just to say, I think I think there's that, just to, to, to echo the point, I do think one of the things I've loved lately, when I saw Ainsley and Bukayo uh, get on the pitch, the fact they're from our academy, I think that's the thing with Wilshere is that he was that. And in the modern era, he's sort of been the only England player that did that. And there's something extra special when it's from uh, a talent from Hale End. Yeah, completely agreed, completely agreed. Um, right, so we're going to go with my first selection now. And when I think of international goals scored by Arsenal players, there is only one which instantly comes to mind. And that can be described by me just going, Dennis Bergkamp! Dennis Bergkamp! Dennis Bergkamp! Oh! <laughs> and that is... Dennis Bergkamp scoring his absolute wonder strike against Argentina in the 98 World Cup, um, which we've spoken about Bergkamp so often on the uh, on this podcast. And every time I will wax lyrical about a, a first touch or, or a finish. But for this goal, Bergkamp combined everything together and it was just absolutely majestic. It was a long ball by, I, I believe it was Frank De Boer. And Bergkamp takes it down expertly, takes another touch inside an Argentinian defender and then just with the outside of his right foot, um, puts it into the top corner. And I think what particularly hit home, and, the, and I, I, like you, the 98 World Cup was was something I was very emotionally invested in. And I I wasn't quite, I didn't have quite the, the same fractured relationship with England that I do now. Um, and I think it was something about that goal being against Argentina, having been knocked out by them and also us feeling um, so disappointed and so hurt by the whole Diego Simeone and uh, David Beckham fiasco um, in that in that time. Mm-hmm. That I think it, 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 it was some sort of poetic justice that um, it was a, an Arsenal man that, uh, that knocked them out um, and stopped them from going any further. So that was the goal for me. And, and I think it, it's, it's one of my favourite non-Arsenal goals because of how beautiful it is and how perfect every single element of it is. And it's goals like that by Dennis Bergkamp that make me go, do you really think he didn't mean the goal at Newcastle? If you really, if you can watch that goal and think, no, Bergkamp didn't mean that, then I think you need to reassess your relationship with football. <laughs> but what a goal. <laughs> what a goal. Yeah. And as you said, you know, for me, it hits home. I, I can picture the, the orange uh, cladded Dutch fans celebrating that wildly. Um, the composure in that moment, the way he the touch and the way he beats the defender for me is such an underrated part of that goal because it's so difficult. There's just so much he has to do in such a short space of time. I also love a sort of outside of the boot finish that bends like that. Um, you described it beautifully. And, and you know, we haven't done a commentary quiz. You've got to fade that commentary in because it's just uh, it's one of the best. 
Met het balbezit voor Frank de Boer. Frank de Boer speelt de bal. Heel goed naar Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp neemt de bal aan. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Frank de Boer speelt de bal naar Dennis Bergkamp. Die neemt de bal feilloos aan. En ik schiet de bal erin. We spelen nog officieel 20 seconden. Dennis Bergkamp. Oké, okay, would you like to tell me your second choice, Andre? Yeah, actually, and, and this is, um, I actually was going to ask you, so so I'm picking, uh, uh, or I could have picked Theo Walcott's goal against Sweden from this game, but this was Euro 2012. I've actually picked this uh, as ever for a, a sentimental reason, um, but uh, the game itself, so we went 1-0 up, uh, Andy Carroll, the, the horse, uh, scored an absolutely sublime header from a, a Steven Gerrard crossfield ball. And then we conceded two goals from set pieces, very similar set pieces from uh, former Arsenal Academy player Seb Larson's wonderful delivery. Uh, and then Theo hits one from about 20 yards that moves all over the place and somehow beats the keeper. And about a minute later, he then runs down the, the right, squares it for Danny Welbeck, who's got his back to goal and sort of manages to angle his boot. It's sort of, it's sort of, it's the ball's behind him and he uses his right leg to flick it into the far corner as he falls over. It's an absolutely stunning finish. We'd never beaten Sweden either um, at uh, international competition and this was the first time. But uh, this would have been in June 2012 and actually it was just as we were leaving university And I watched this with my household, who I'd been with for the whole three years. And we all support different teams, as I'm sure you did in your household. And it was the first time we celebrated a goal together, collectively, that mattered. And that's why it sticks out to me always. And of course, I don't actually think Welbeck played for us at the time. I don't know, did he? No, I don't uh, think he did. No, he hadn't joined there. I think he joined that summer, perhaps. Maybe even the summer after, but... Technically, he's an Arsenal player, maybe not at the time, but Walcott was instrumental as well. And I, I'm pretty sure I hated Danny Welbeck at that point and thought he was a waste of time. Um, but, you know, it was just moments like that are what football was all about. And that's one of the reasons I do quite like international football is those people who care a lot about their clubs, but they just support clubs you don't like. Um, you can come together. And that was one of the first moments... I truly remember that. And it was sort of just as we were leaving uni. And it was quite special, really. I think it was the only group game we had, we watched together. in Because, um, yeah, I think the previous tournament in 2010, we were, you know, I don't think we were still there when a group game was on. Uh, but it was a special, special occasion. And uh, it's a really wonderful finish as well. Yeah, it, it really is. But I, I think that's a really... Um really wonderful description of uh, why why people like international football um, and I think you've uh, sort of summarised it well and it's a, it's a wonderful memory of sort of university times and uh, and sharing those experiences together so yes yeah, taking me right back taking me right back to university <laughs> days but uh, yeah really wonderful example um, my final choice is a goal which has no emotional meaning or anything like that and again it's from a player who He hadn't started his Arsenal career yet, but he had he had signed for the club. And it is Thomas Rosicki with a wonder strike against the USA. Uh, obviously, earlier in the podcast, I spoke about my affinity with the USA, um, with my mum being American. And it's it's 
a team that I always want to do well. But sometimes you just got to hold your hands up and say, well, that's just an incredible strike. And it was Rosicki picking the ball up probably 25, 30 yards out from goal. And what I love about it is it's one of those strikes where you strike across the ball almost with the outside of your foot and it bends away from the goalkeeper. And the best example I can think of for that would be uh, Andre Arshavin um, with his goal, his second goal against Liverpool in the 4 all draw, where the ball just curves away from Pepe Reina um, with the outside of his foot. And it's a very a very similar sort of strike that Rosicki does um, against the USA because he's significantly further out than, than Arshavin was. But it's striking across the ball in that way that he just moves so quickly and so rapidly that he gives the goalkeeper no chance. And that was, we just signed Rosicki. And I think a lot of Arsenal fans didn't really know too much about him. Um from his time in Borussia Dortmund and, and obviously Sparta Prague, um, despite him scoring uh, against us for Sparta Prague um, and playing against us for Borussia Dortmund. But it's always nice to see a player and you pay particular focus when you know that you're signing him or you're about to sign him. And I think Arsenal fans were just genuinely really, really excited at that point. And that's what I love. That's what I sometimes love about international football because you you get the rumours before a tournament about potential signings or even signings that have occurred. And when that happens, you, you, you have this focus and almost this unwavering support for nations that you wouldn't otherwise have, have had an interest in. And I think sometimes that's what I enjoy. And, and particularly that World Cup, which would have been... 2006, is that right? Germany 2006? Yeah, yeah that's um, exactly right. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's my memories of that. And I remember just really showing such a keen interest in Thomas Rosicki. And what a player. For sure, for sure. I remember being how excited um, how excited I was that an Arsenal player shot outside the box. Yes. Around that time. And it was like, oh, yeah. what have we got here? That was um, very much the era of uh, Arsenal walk the ball into the net, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it really was. It really was. And uh, it was actually very similar to his first Arsenal goal, actually, um, against Hamburg. Yeah. What yeah. a strike that was. What a strike. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, this is the sort of question that I could ask your average person, but I'll ask you just to round it off because we've done no quizzing. Uh, what country did we have on our shirt that day? <laughs> it was Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no one else would. You know, no one else would know that. <laughs> but for, <laughs> it's just knowledge of the top of your head. Yes, it was Dubai because we had a. I, I didn't even know this. A sponsorship clash. I mean, have you ever heard of anything more ridiculous that you couldn't wear in European competition? But, uh, yeah, and, ob and obviously Dubai was, it was just like um, bits of mesh that were just pasted over the top of the, uh, the sponsor. <laughs> so it looked ridiculous, but uh, it's one of those uh, silly facts that we get to, uh, get to enjoy um, after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Game's gone. Game's gone, my friend. Okay, so after, uh, that was a real struggle getting that podcast out just because of all the technical difficulties. Uh, and obviously, as I'm speaking, I've got the luxury of having to edit that now. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Uh, hopefully, the technical difficulties don't make it too difficult to listen to. <laughs> um, but Andre, thank you for your time as always. Thank you, Mr. Down. Good luck with the edit. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I'm really buzzing about that. Um, 
If you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for the Boys in Red and White podcast. And also we have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. But thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back with another podcast next week.